0: Welcome to Win the Future, a podcast where we chat with folks who are tackling the most significant challenges our communities face today to make for a better tomorrow. I'm your host, Brett Broster. This is episode number 18. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Win the Future. I'm here today with Joan Wilson, who is a Connecticut-based elder law attorney with Reed Wilson Case and the vice president of Connecticut's chapter of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. Uh, And it's the premier trade association for folks who are practicing elder law. And welcome, Joan. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time.
0: No, no, it's great. Really appreciate your time. Um, And so let's kick this off, Joan, with kind of a basic question here. But what is elder law?
1: Elder law is really just the, the practice of law that focuses on elder issues. It could be anything from long-term care planning, the Medicaid planning, uh, conservatorships, powers of attorney, um, but anything that's related to somebody who's um, in their later in life in their elder issues. Some some attorneys will focus more on elder abuse and that, that sort of practice, so it kind of it all those different
0: areas. Got it. And, and so with that in mind, kind of when is the best time for somebody to contact an elder law attorney? And what why, why should somebody go that route?
1: I think when someone receives a diagnosis of a long-term care illness is, is a great time for them to get in touch with their elder law attorney. Um, a lot of the things that people can do related to their estate plan might be able to be done by an estate planning attorney who may not be focusing on elder law. Um, but once you start really needing assistance with figuring out the different types of long-term care that are out there, that would be a time to call in, an elder law attorney because the attorneys that focus on elder law really know the ins and outs of the different types of care that are out there and they also understand Medicaid planning and uh, VA planning and different ways that you can help get benefits to pay for that care because long-term care, as everybody knows, can be very expensive. So having somebody who knows what the different types of care are and also can help you get the assistance that you might need with with the the time that you want an elder law attorney. Um, Other times, if there's a family member who thinks that somebody may be being exploited or abused, they would want to probably get in touch with an elder law attorney at that point as
0: well. Got it. And, and I know you mentioned Medicaid. And why is Medicaid such a key component to long-term planning uh, and, and elder law as a whole?
1: It's a great question. And it's it's some it's, it's an area that people get confused about a lot because of Medicare and the words are very similar and what they handle are very similar. So Medicaid is the program that could pay for someone's long-term care. Like if they have to go to a nursing home or in Connecticut, the Medicaid program does also pay for home care, which is unlike some other states. Um, So Medicaid would be a payer source for somebody who doesn't have enough money to pay for the care that they need. And you know, in Connecticut, currently the cost of a nursing home is about thirteen thousand dollars a month. So you know, it really can deplete someone's assets very quickly. So Medicaid would be the the payer source to be able to help pay for that care. Um, and it's it's uh, a complicated program. And the reason why people get confused is everybody who turns sixty five, but almost everybody who turns sixty five gets Medicare to pay for their health insurance and that will pay for their doctors and their hospitals. And a lot of people presume that that means it's also gonna pay for their long-term care needs and it doesn't. Um, So it's really important that once you get that long-term illness diagnosis or you start looking at needing some assistance that you meet with somebody who understands the difference between Medicare and Medicaid and can assist you. Um, to
0: get qualified for those programs. And, and kind of within that scope as well, um, I know it's so vital to have an attorney who practices elder law working on these issues. And there are a lot of different folks out there who who, who assist with the process. But can you talk a little bit about the importance of uh, somebody of you practices elder law in the process? Like
1: I said earlier, it's, it's such a complex process. There are a lot of rules uh, in order to get qualified, there's a lot of exemptions where people might be able to get qualified and um, and not necessarily have to spend all of their money. They they might be able to safeguard some of that money for either for a spouse who's at home or maybe for a disabled child. Um, so it's really important to have somebody who is licensed to practice law to be able to read that law and be able to explain to you what the laws are so that you can protect as much as you can for your loved ones. And there's also uh, various legal documents that go hand in hand with the Medicaid application, including uh, real estate deeds and um, different wills that you might wanna do or powers of attorney. So if you have a, a lawyer who's licensed in Connecticut who also focuses on elder law, they can look at that big picture and not necessarily just focus on one aspect of it. Because once you focus on one aspect of long-term care planning, you could really go down the wrong road and, and end up getting into a lot of trouble financially or, or not be able to qualify for these valuable programs.
0: And do you have an example of somebody who has uh, suffered because they didn't have an elder law attorney as part of the process?
1: Yeah, and unfortunately a lot of people don't even realize that they've suffered you know they they don't realize that they could have uh, protected more or saved more for their loved ones but i just last week got a call from a client or it was a prospective client at the time they needed help with a pooled trust and a pool trust is one of the aspects of medicaid planning um, that only lawyers in connecticut are allowed to do So there's a list of lawyers who are allowed to do pool trusts. And sometimes people need a pool trust in order to get qualified for a Medicaid program. So this person reached out to me because her father needed a pool trust. And in talking to her about the whole Medicaid application, come to find out that he spent $24,000 paying somebody else to get him through this Medicaid application. And that's just an astronomical amount of money. And, and what's happening is a lot of people are hearing that um, they can hire these non-lawyers and pay them less than what a lawyer would charge. They don't know what a lawyer would charge, so they just presume that this must be less. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's not. But there's a lot of stories like that where either people have paid a lot more money that they, than they probably should have, um, or even worse off, they're not being told to contact a lawyer and not getting the pool of trust or not getting the legal documents in order and they're being denied Medicaid. Um, and it, and it kind of goes hand in hand with the uh, retroactivity of the home care program. Um, so if somebody is applying for the home care program in Connecticut, which is a Medicaid program that will pay for home care, which again is great. A lot of states don't have that. Um, it's not retroactive. So if you're in the application process and you don't know that you have to do a pool trust or do another legal aspect of it, you're you're never going to get approved. So this, there's people out there that are running out of money and they're not getting approved for the program because they're not getting the proper advice. Wow.
0: Well, I, I would love to come back to that issue. Um, and I think this will be a good segue, but can you talk a little bit about what, uh, the Connecticut chapter of uh, National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys is focused on.
1: We are a group of elder law attorneys. We we have a lot of different committees, a lot of different aspects. Um, we have educational programs for our attorneys. We can keep up to date on everything with related to to elder law. Um, I'm on the public policy committee, so our job is to look at the laws that are on the books, work with the legislators to figure out what should be tweaked, what should be changed to to help the seniors in Connecticut. So this year we are working on that. That retroactivity of the home care program is one of the big things we're working on. Um, We'd really love to get that program. It's called the Connecticut Home Care Program for Elders. We would love that to become a retroactive program, which would mean Even though the application process might take four or six months, which is kind of the average of how long it takes to get approved for Medicaid, once that person is approved, the family would get paid back or the home care agency that's been providing the care would be paid back, back to the date of the original application. And that's how it works for a nursing home. So if somebody's in a nursing home and they're applying for Medicaid, and then they're going through that application process. They don't have to pay the nursing home, and the nursing home is not going to be out. They will get paid retroactively by the state. But unfortunately, right now, it's not retroactive for home care, so that becomes a problem when somebody is running out of money. Um, Another aspect that we're working on is uh, the community spouse protected amount, which is the amount of money that a spouse can keep. So when you're a married couple and one of the uh, couple needs long-term care, and we're applying for Medicaid for that person. There's a calculation where the the spouse, called the community spouse, that's the one that's not getting Medicaid, is allowed to keep. Under federal law, the community spouse is allowed to keep. It's about $128,000. Um, but in Connecticut right now, Connecticut states that that you have to look at the couple's assets as a whole and then cut it in half. And the community spouse is only allowed to keep half. So if the couple has $300,000, then they're going to be able to keep that max 128 that the federal law allows. But if the couple has $100,000, they can only keep 50. And they really, under federal law, they should be able to leave, uh, keep the full 128. So we're trying to push to get back to that. Um, and then another thing we're working on is the exploitation of, of seniors and and trying to figure out ways that we can protect people from being duped into paying all this money for Medicaid applications and not necessarily getting the full benefit of, of having a lawyer who's licensed to look at all the different laws for them.
0: Got it. Well, I would love to dig further into that. We just need to take a quick break, Joan, and we will be right back. When the Future is sponsored in part by Connecticut by the Numbers. If you're looking to learn more about what's happening and why, Check out Connecticut by the Numbers, where every number tells a story. Connecticut by the Numbers goes beyond the headlines, across the state. For Connecticut News That Counts, visit ctnumbers.news or follow them at ctnumbers. All right, everybody, and we're back with Joan Wilson. And thank you so much for uh, being on the program. So per what you had mentioned in the uh, the first half of the the interview, with the unauthorized practice of law... Um, I know that's something that in 2018 was brought up in the Connecticut legislature, and multiple states have kind of addressed this issue, whether it be Ohio, Tennessee, uh, New Jersey, um, Florida's addressed it. But can you talk a little bit about that issue specifically as it relates to um, seeking out a remedy, whether it's in the courts or, or with the legislature?
1: So you know the the real issue, as I mentioned earlier, is there are companies out there that are telling people that they can do their Medicaid application for them, um, and they shouldn't hire a lawyer because they're going to pay more money if they hire a lawyer, and and people believe that. And lawyers have a bad rap, so <laughs> people think, oh yeah, I'm I'm going to hire a non lawyer and I'm going to end up paying less. Um, Unfortunately, that's not always true anyway, but even beyond that, um, there are so many legal aspects to Medicaid applications that it's important to have somebody who understands all the ins and outs of the law. Um, So these other states have recognized that and most of them have enacted some sort of law that effectively makes Medicaid planning and and applying for Medicaid the, the practice of law. And it gets a little, little tricky because anybody can file or fill out an application for Medicaid. And that's a federal law. Um, anybody is allowed to fill it out, and they don't want to make that the practice of law. It's the planning behind it that becomes the practice of law. Um, so, in what we're trying to work with with CT Mail, it is really figuring out how we can get some law on the book that's going to protect the seniors. We're not necessarily looking to uh, change the law so that only lawyers can fill out Medicaid applications, but it's certainly important that seniors and their families know that there's a lot of law that goes into it, and they should seek out legal advice uh, in order to to come out in the best results. Um, so it's what we're doing right now is we're working with the legislators to try to come up with a task force that... Can really look at what the issues are. Maybe it'll end up being a change in the in the practice of law statute, or maybe it'll be a consumer protection law that that goes onto the book where they can be notified and, and given this information that they should seek out legal advice in certain circumstances. Um, but we're really interested in just making sure that the seniors in the community are just well informed about rights are and, and, and what their laws are so that people don't end up having to spend all their money on something that they might not otherwise have to spend it on.
0: No, under, understood. And, and on that note, and kind of hearing from folks of, of their, uh, the issues they faced in that realm, I know there's a, some public meetings coming up. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: So because we're, yeah, the legislature in, in, in Hartford is in session right now, So there are hearings uh, going on, or there will be public hearings on the various bills that have been presented. So um, the community spouse protected uh, law, the retroactivity of Medicaid. We also have another law that uh, is is being proposed as a bill, which is about putting means on property after someone's been on Medicaid. Um, So the Legislature, this session is all via Zoom, Um, but any year that they're in session, people can testify before them, they can submit written testimony, or they can go in front of them um, just to tell their story. So a lot of lawyers, right now the elder law group is is working on getting people who can provide testimony to explain to the legislators what's going on and what our concerns are, but the public is also welcome to do that. Um, so that we can, we can probably provide people information if, if they do feel like they may have a story that's relevant to any of the bills that are being proposed they can get on the schedule for the public hearings and they should be coming up within the next few weeks
0: excellent and as that information comes up we'll we'll make sure to include it in the show notes and um with with when we promote the episode um but i know there's another issue and i'm Probably going to struggle with uh, how to kind of get at the question, but what what is leapfrogging?
1: So leapfrogging is um, a bill, or leapfrogging is is basically when somebody owns a home, they own a piece of real estate, and uh, they need some long term care. These these would be the people that are applying for home care. And it's not retroactive, so they're home. They're running out of money because they're paying for whatever care they need, and all they have is is their their home. So they might borrow money from a child. Maybe the child has a, you know ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars that they could lend the parent to pay for the care that they need to get them through the approval process. And of course, you know that's a lot of money. So. The child will say, well, I'll just get paid back from your house after you pass away. So we'll put a, a mortgage on your house and then I will get paid back after you, you pass away and you'll get the care you need. It make makes sense. What happens is sometimes after the person dies, if then they've been on Medicaid for a while, the state will come forward and jump ahead. That's the leapfrog part. They'll jump ahead of the child who has a legitimate mortgage on the land records Um, so we're trying to pass a bill that says that the state can't jump ahead. They they generally don't jump ahead of traditional mortgages. They only jump ahead if it's, if it's a personal individual. So it's really causing a big problem because that child who lent the money doesn't get their, get, get reimbursed because the state might, the state debt might eat up all of the value of the home. Um, but now that people are aware of it. It's making children less likely to lend that money, which is then in turn essentially forcing people into a nursing home because they don't have any means to pay for the care that they that they need. So again, we're trying to kind of clean up the books, make sure everybody wants to stay home, you know. and and I would think that even the state would want people to stay home. It's less expensive to care for somebody at home. So we want to make sure that if the child has the means and and the will, to lend money to their parents to be able to keep them home a little bit longer, that they're not going to be punished for that. And they're going to get reimbursed
0: for that. Well, and Joan, kind of in that, in that same area, I would imagine that these are really tough conversations for folks to have in the upfront to, to even come to, come to terms with the need for um, somebody like yourself who practices elder law attorney or who practices elder law and is an expert. Do you have any advice or tips for folks who may be struggling to have that conversation with their parent or to to collectively um, seek out the advice?
1: It's definitely a tough, tough conversation a lot of times. And, and oftentimes we are called by the child, not by the, the parent who is the elder. Um, but I guess it really depends on on the relationship between the parent and the child, how how far they go with it or how they approach it. But a lot of times it could just be a matter of taking baby steps to to open up that conversation. Um, Some people are very swayed by the fact that they want to protect the money, their hard-earned money. I hear hear that a lot. They want to make sure that everything that they worked hard for is protected. So that's often the way to get the parent in the door to talk to another law attorney because you can explain to them that they can discuss how their assets, you might be able to protect their assets from having to be spent.
0: Got it. Got it. Well, Joan, this has been great. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Anything, anything else you want to address before let you get back to your day? I think we hit it all. Excellent. No, thank you so much for being on. This is great. And, once again, Joan Wilson, who's the vice president of CT NAILA and uh, works as a practicing attorney with Reed Wilson Case, and which is Connecticut based, just to uh, clarify right. there. But um, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much again. All right. And uh, Thanks. look forward to having you on after a successful session. Look forward yeah. to having you on again to come back and
1: report on what passes.
0: yeah sounds good Well, thank you Joan. appreciate it thank you for listening to the win the future podcast sponsored by the strategic communications firm a better campaign make sure to visit our website at abettercampaign.com backslash win the future please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends Thank you for tuning in. Please tune in again next Thursday for another episode of Win the Future.